Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. Warm up for Lilo. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Craig Peterson. We've got a great show for you. As in the second segment, we're going to be joined by my good buddy Jeff Parles over there at the Vegas Sites and Information Network. He does a terrific job with a wide variety of shows. He'll be on both the morning and the night shift this week with the Vegas Sites and Information Network. He's pulling double duty with both primetime action along with a numbers game. So, we're going to be chatting with him about that. We're going to be looking at the Monday card, some of his takeaways with everything that we wound up seeing over the weekend as well. So, going to have a great chat there. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Monday. And a little something I like to call touch them off first things first. Always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And you've got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at JRS41. Keep in mind, letters ZM. They mean does not matter. So, as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple podcast. Review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you into there. Did not wind up getting in any questions today, but we did have a fun-filled day of baseball on Sunday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Before the festivities wound up getting started with the actual Sunday games, 
we had to patch up a pair of games that wound up beginning on Saturday and wound up getting finished on Sunday. That would be the San Diego Padres and the Washington Nationals with one of them 10-4. The Padres wound up winning the game that was suspended. They were able to put up two runs in the lighter portion of the game as it was 8-4 to four when this game got suspended in the 6th inning. They put up a two-spot in the 7th inning, so they were able to get it done there. And then it was Mad Max Scherzer taking the bump for the Nationals in the actual 9-inning game, and the Nats were able to pull out an 8-7 to seven win as the Nationals wind up getting off to a 4-0 to lead. Scherzer didn't necessarily have it in this one. He winds up giving up a pair of homers, gives up four runs in total over the course of seven innings going deep for the Slam Diego Padres. Eric Osmer, eighth homer on the season, and then Manny Machado, would go deep later off of Danny Hudson for a 16th home run of the season. Jerickson Profar also winds up taking Scherzer deep for Hudson. He gives up two runs, one of which was earned over the course of an inning. And Brad Ann came in for the save, was unable to get it. He winds up giving up three walks and a run in his inning of relief. But for the Washington Nationals, LCD's Escobar wound up being a little bit of a hero in this game. He goes deep in the eighth inning off of Emilio Pagan for his first home run of the season. Juan Soto would also go deep off of Pagan for his 14th. And they would be able to get to Mark Melanson in the ninth inning to be will get the W as Joe Musgrove. Not the start that he was looking for for the Padres. Gives up four runs over the course of five innings. Craig Stammen along Drew Pomerantz give you a scoreless inning, but Pagan gives up those two homers out of the bullpen in an inning, and then Mark Melanson gives up the winning run in the ninth. So, that was not necessarily too terrific. The game that wound up getting suspended out there in Philadelphia wound up going to the Phillies. 4-2, they wind up winning in ten innings as for the Philadelphia Phillies, it was a walk-off homer for JT Riumito that wound up breaking the tie in that one. That winds up coming off of Yimi Garcia as that was a game that began on Saturday, ended on Sunday in the nine-inning game that winds up getting played on Sunday. The Philadelphia Phillies carried over that energy. 7-4 to the final. They are able to get the W as for the Miami Marlins. They were able to get a home run off the bat of Adam Duvall, his 20th home run of the season, and Braxton Garrett winds up getting the start. Wasn't necessarily what he was looking for. Three runs, two of which were earned over the course of four and a third innings. He would wind up giving up a home run in this one to Andrew McCutcheon, 16th home run of the season. John Curtis with two S's came in in that same inning, and he would give up the eighth home run of the season to D.D. Gregorius as he comes in for two-thirds of an inning, gives up a run. Anthony Bender now sees his ERA goes north of two. He gives up two runs in an inning. Zach Pop gives up a run in an inning, and Stephen O'Kurt was able to give you a scoreless inning, but for the Philadelphia Phillies, Zach Wheeler was not necessarily wheeling to kneeling as he gives up all four runs over the course of six innings, but he was backed up by a trio of guys that were able to pick him up. Bailey Falter, Connor Brogdon combined for two scoreless innings, and then Hector Neris able to get the save in the ninth inning to be able to get the W out there in Philadelphia for a Phillies team that at home so far this year has been doing a very solid job. Now 27-17 and 17 at home, 20-28 and 28 on the road, so big splits there out there in the Annalise. The New York Metropolitans gave up a sixth spot in the first setting headlined by an absolutely ridiculous play in which Taiwan Walker tries to field a ground ball that winds going like 20 or so feet. It was right on the chalk, called fair instead of the Mets trying to actually make the play. They wind up arguing with the ump, so three runs wind up scoring from there, but they were able to rebound after that as Walker. Just a terrible start. Third of an inning, he gives up six runs, five of which were earned. I think that they might have called that a fielding error on himself when he wound up going for that ground ball that was right on the chuck. We're going to talk a little bit more about this with our good buddy Jeff Parles, but Mets bullpen winds up going eight and two-thirds innings scoreless. Drew Smith doing two-thirds innings. Miguel Castro and Trevor May both give you an inning, and Jersich Familia and Aaron Loop give you two scoreless, and for the Mets, they were able to get a pair of home runs as Michael Conforto was able to get his fourth home run of the season, and Travis Blankenhorn, yes, Travis Blankenhorn gets his first home run of the season in pinch-hit fashion as 
for the Pittsburgh Pirates, JT Brubaker. One of the least profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues. He did not make a profit for you in this one. Three and two-thirds innings. He gives up six hits, three walks, four runs, all of which were earned. Chris Rand from there. Gives up an unearned run out of the bullpen as he was hurt by Ore Palonco Air. You wind up getting scoreless innings out of David Bernard along Clay Holmes and Austin Davis. Was able to give you an out of the bullpen, but Richard Rodriguez, who has been pretty rock solid out of the bullpen, gives up two runs in the ninth to choke this one away. And for the Pirates, they go 3 of 12 with men in scoring position, stranding 10 men on base. So, was it a great day for them? Speaking of not a great day, it was a terrible day for the Texas Rangers as they get shut out twice by the Toronto Blue Jays in their double dip. They wind up losing the first game by a count of 5-0. to zero. In this one, they wind up getting a grand total of three hits. Colby Allard gets this right, giving up five runs and five and a third innings. Josh Shorebitch was able to finish out the last two outs of the game, but going deep for the Toronto Blue Jays, Andy Jansen, able to get his fifth home run season, and Hunjin Ryu was able to give you a complete game, which in this case was seven innings, and then for the Blue Jays, 10 to nothing is how they took down the Rangers in the second game as Mike Fultonavich. Boy, was this a bad start. He gives up 10 runs and records 5 outs, giving up 4 homers. He got 5 outs and he gave up 4 home runs. That is absolutely terrible. I will say the bullpen from there was able to be solid. Taylor Hearn gives you 4 outs out of the bullpen without giving up a run. Spencer Patton a scoreless inning and Demarcus Evans 2 scoreless innings, but damage had been done as going deep for the Blue Jays. George Springer, 6th home run of the season. Vlad Guerrero Jr., 31st home run of the season. Lord Scoriel's 11th. Randall Gritchick is 18th. And once again, the Texas Rangers, 3 hits in this one. Steven Mass looked actually very good in this one. 5 scoreless settings giving up those three hits. Rafael Dolis and Taylor Saucedo were able to give you scoreless settings from there and the Toronto Blue Jays now 48 and 42 despite having the best run differential out there in the AL East at plus 95. So going to be interesting to watch out for them. You have to watch out for the Detroit Tigers all of a sudden as well. They wind up sweeping the Minnesota Twins being able to complete the sweep by a count of 7-0 as in this one there was just nothing doing for the Minnesota Twins. They wind up getting six hits. They go 0-8 with men in scoring position and J.A. Hapapare was more like J.A. Hapapu. He goes seven innings. He gives up seven runs, all of which were earned, including a pair of homers. Going deep for the Detroit Tigres. Jamir Candelario, sixth homer on the season. Jonathan Scope at 17th. Willie Peralta now is a buck 64 ERA, by the way. He has given up one earned run, I believe, in his last four starts. Seven scoreless in this one. Buck Farmer, along with Alex Lang, were both able to give you scoreless innings out of the bullpen. And for the Minnesota Twins, you were able to get a scoreless inning out of Juan Menea out of the bullpen. So that's a little bit of something, but the Twins now 39 and 53. They are the worst team with regards to run line record out there in the big leagues. It's not going well for them. It's going well for the Tampa Bay Rays though. They take down the Atlanta Braves by a count of 7-5 to five, thanks to a four spot in the seventh inning for the Tampa Bay Rays in that seventh inning. They were able to get a big home run off of Yandy Diaz. Fifth home run of the season and Wonder Franco was able to take Mr. Drew Smiley deep for a third home run of the season for Smiley. He's been a little bit better recently. Not great. Not terrible in this one. Five and two thirds innings. He winds up giving up three runs but AJ Minter winds up giving up two runs in a third of an inning. Jesse Chavez was able to give a third of an inning without giving up a run, but Luke Jackson gets two outs, but he gave up that home run to Yandy Diaz in the seventh inning. Josh Shaman, Jane Green, both able to give you a scoreless inning for there. And for the Atlanta Braves, they wind up straining 10 men on base in this one, as for the Tampa Bay Rays, Rich Hill did not necessarily give the length that they would desire. Four innings pitch, gives up three runs. Andrew Kittrich gets four outs out of the bullpen. He gives up a run. Jeffrey Springs was able to give you a pair of outs without giving up a run. Colin McHugh was able to go two innings without giving up a run. That was earned. He winds up giving up an under run as you wind up having a Brandon Lau fielding air hurting him, but Pew Fairbanks able to close the door in the ninth inning, scoreless in that. The Baltimore Orioles hold the Kansas City Royals scoreless. Not something you see very often. Five to zero the final is Matt Harvey. A good start? What planet am I on? He went six scoreless innings. He only got two strikeouts, but actually did a solid job. 
Tanner Scott, Adam Blutko combined for a scoreless inning, and Cole Solzer and Dylan Tate give a scoreless inning of their own. For the Baltimore Orioles, just 2 of 11 with men in scoring position, and for Carlos Hernandez, who winds up getting the start for the Royals, nothing great, nothing terrible. Spot starter gave the team four innings, gave up two runs, so pretty much what you'd expect. Greg Allen, Josh Samount, Kyle Zimmer all come in for an inning, all give up a run apiece. Jake Brents, Wade Davis were able to give you a scoreless inning, but just flat out nothing doing for a Royals team that has been absolutely pathetic. They have now lost 22 out of their last three games, so that has been a little bit rough. Things were rough out there in the city of Chicago for the Houston Astros as they wind up losing the last two of this series. 4-0 to zero the final this one as the Astros have now scored a combined one run in their last two games as they were unable to hit Mr. Carlos Rodon, who's having a terrific year. One hit, 10 strikeouts in seven innings for Rodon, Michael Kopech, Liam Hendricks. Both able to give you a scoreless inning from there. And for the Sox, pair of home runs. Yohan Moncada, sixth home run of the season. That's off of Framber Valdez. And Valdez served up the eighth home run of the season to Tim Anderson as he goes six and a third innings, giving up all four of those runs and both homers. Blake Taylor, scoreless inning. Ryan Sanek, two-thirds of an inning scoreless, but for the Houston Astros, Low man that got a hit in this one was Abraham Toro. They had their normal complement of pieces other than Alex Bregman, who's been on the injured list for quite a while, so not a good showing for the Astros. Not a good showing for the San Francisco Giants. They wind up losing to the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of 2-1 to one for the Giants. 0-7 with runners in scoring position. They leave 10 men on base, and Johnny Cueto gave his solid start in this one. Five innings pitch, gives up a solo home run. That was to Mr. Paul DeYoung, 13th home run of the season. From there, you wind up having Dominique Leon and Jay Jackson give you a score of saying John Breba. Gives up a run in an inning as he's actually a former St. Louis Cardinal. But for the cards, Wade LeBlanc was able to get out of a lot of danger. He gives up five hits in five innings, giving up only one solo home run in the process. Going deep for the Giants, Darren Ruff, 10th home run of the season. From there, you wind up having Ryan Elsley, Genesis Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos, and Alex Reyes. I'll give you scoreless innings from there as they do not wind up giving up a single hit for the bullpen. So that was a good showing for the Cardinals as they wind up taking two of three in that series. The Yankees take two of three from the Boston Red Sox. The Red Sox just had one of their worst games of the year. Nine to one the final for the Red Sox. Martin Perez wasn't necessarily too terrific in this one. Gives up three runs over the course of four innings, serving up a home run to one Gleyber Torres. As Torres was able to get his fifth home run of the season, and then Darwinson Hernandez gives up a home run out of the bullpen to Rude Andador. His tenth home run of the season for Hernandez. Gives up four runs without getting a single out, so that was tough. Gary Woodlock was able to give the team two scoreless innings out of the bullpen, and Brandon Workman gives the team a scoreless inning as well, but Yaxel Rios would wind up giving up the first career home run to a guy that you probably wouldn't expect. Ryan Lamar, his first career home run, so congratulations to him. So Rios winds up giving up two runs in an inning, and for the Boston Red Sox, one of seven with Ben in scoring position as James Tatayan was on in this one. Five in, a third inning scoreless. Chad Green, he's able to come out of the bullpen, gives you five outs without giving up a run. Zach Brennan, who just came off the injured list, gave up a run in two-thirds of an inning, but Lucas Lutish was able to give you a third of an inning scoreless, and Aroldis Chapman came in for mop-up work, scoreless inning for him. That is big for his confidence. We had the New York Post of the day fading the Arizona Diamondbacks, and go figure the Arizona Diamondbacks finally get a win. They are now 12-55 and in their last 67 games, 6-4. They were able to get the W. Zach Davies was in all sorts of danger in this one. Gives up six hits, four walks, and four and two-thirds innings, giving up just two runs, but then from there, a Cubs open that has been pretty solid all year long, wound up progressing. Rex Brothers, one and a third innings. He gives up two runs, including a home run to one. Eduardo Escobar, his 21st home run of the season. You also have two runs given up by Dan Winkler as he went two-thirds of an inning. You got two-thirds of an inning scoreless out of Kyle Ryan along with Adam Morgan, but for the Chicago Cubs, 
They just weren't able to get to Merrill Kelly, who winds up going into the ninth inning in this one, but he would wind up getting taken out after that. Joaquin Soria was able to pitch a final inning, but Merrill Kelly gives up four runs over the course of eight innings, 82 pitches in the process, so he was certainly throwing strikes, and the Diamondbacks have actually won five out of Merrill Kelly's last six starts, so whenever he's taking the mound, it's been the antidote for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Speaking of the antidote, the Seattle Mariners have now won each out of Logan Gilbert's last nine starts as they get a 7-4 win over the LA Angels. Now for the Angels to highlight, Shohei Otani goes deep again. 34th home run of the season as Patrick Sandoval, well, he got taken deep twice. He winds up going seven innings for the Angels, but gives up six runs, four of which were earned from there. You wind up having Jose Quintana give you five outs out of the bullpen, and Andrew Wants gives up a run in a third of an inning going deep for the Seattle Mariners in this one. Luis Torrens, his 10th home run of the season, and Ty France, more like Win France, his ninth home run of the season as Logan Gilbert gives up two runs over the course of five and a third innings. J.G. Chargois gives you a scoreless inning along Drew's second writer, Paul Seawald, does give up that home run to Shoei Otani giving up two runs in an inning, but Anthony Machevich was able to give you two-thirds of an inning scoreless, and for the Seattle Mariners, now 50-44, and 44, despite a negative 51 run differential. You just don't see that very often. You also don't see the Cleveland Indians get very good starts very often from guys not named Shane Bieber, but they've got Zach Plesak back. He was solid, and they get a 4-2 win for Plesak. He gives up two runs over the course of six innings going deep for the Oakland A's in this one. You wind up having Seth Brown get his 11th home run of the season, but Chris Bassett was taking hook, line, and sinker twice in this one. Gives up three total runs over the course of seven innings, including a pair of bombs. You wind up having Daniel Johnson get his first home run of the season, and then Bradley Zimmer gets his second home run of the season, and his second home run of the series, so good on him for the Oakland A's from there. You wind up having a unearned run given up by Yasmeto Petit in the ninth inning. Jake Diekman, Sergio Romo, both able to combine for a scoreless inning, and for the Cleveland Indians, Nick Wickrent, Phil Maton, Brian Shaw, all able to give you scoreless innings out of the bullpen, so a Cleveland Indians team that have been flailing a little bit, they wind up taking two of three in this series as the Oakland A's continue have some issues at home. They've actually been a little bit of a better road team by and large for much of the year. 28-24 at home. 25-18 and 18 on the road for them. A team that has been having their good performances at home and their bad performances on the road is the Colorado Rockies and they take down the LA Dodgers by a count of 6-5 of five at home. The Dodgers had won 8 straight games against the Colorado Rockies prior to this one and for the Dodgers they were able to get a pair of home runs in this one. Will Smith gets jiggy with it off of Carlos Aceves his 11th home run of the season and 55 shades of John Gray gives one up to Justin Turner down for what his 16th home run of the season but for Gray still very solid. Gives up 2 runs over the course of 7 innings. Carlos Aceves gives up those 2 runs in an inning giving up the home run to Will Smith but Daniel Bart gives Gives you a scoreless inning, Michael Givens. He winds up going in the 10th inning, and he gives up an unrun run. But in the 10th inning, it was Charlie Blackman who wound up getting a walk-off homer off of Phil Bickford, his fifth homer on the season, to get the WN. For the Dodgers, David Price winds up going the longest he has all year long, giving up one run over the course of four innings. But bullpen certainly did get taxed in this one. Blake Tryon gave you a scoreless inning. Alex Vesia gave you two outs out of the bullpen. Jake Reed winds up coming in. He gets four outs. He gives up an under run in the process. Joe Kelly gives up a run in an inning. Emily Jansen came in for the save. He winds up blowing his third save of the season. Now he's a buck 45 ERA, so by and large he's been solid, but gives up a run in an inning. And then Phil Bickford gives up two runs, one of which was earned with that 10th inning as he winds up getting taken deep by Charlie Blackman. So that was certainly an interesting one to say the least. And it's been interesting to just take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers in general as the Cincinnati Reds, if they would have swept the Brewers in the series, would have been one game back in the NL Central and said they are now seven games back as they lost every game in the series and they got destroyed on Sunday by a count of 8-0. to zero. For the Milwaukee Brewers, 
one Goldman Burns was able to give you a very good start. He winds up going eight and a third innings, punches out 12. He was certainly on his game as he winds up getting relieved for the final two outs by Mr. Angel Perdomo as he was able to punch out two as well for the Milwaukee Brewers. Pair of home runs in this one. Christian Yelich, his sixth home run of the year. It's strange to say just six home runs for Christian Yelich at this point in the season, but William Thomas also goes deep. 16th home run of the season, but 11th as a Brewer for Sonny Gray. Not a great start in this one. Four and two-thirds innings. Gives up five runs, all of which were earned. Ryan Hendricks was able to clean up the fifth inning, not giving up a run, but Sionella Perez winds up giving up a solo home run in two innings. Sean Doolittle not doing very little for you in this one. Gives you a scoreless inning, but Tony Santian gives up two runs in an inning, and the Reds, well, they went from being right in the middle of the NL Central on to now being seven games back. And if you're looking overall for the year, since I know that many of you guys have been targeting overs ever since the crackdown on sticky substances, overall for the year, overs have a lead over unders by a count of 675 and 655. If you're looking over the last three days, so really throughout the duration of this crackdown, 171 overs, 162 unders, so a 51.4% clip over the last three days. And over the last three days, favorites have been very profitable. 215 and 136, that is a 61.3% clip. Home teams winning at a clip of about 55%. 195 and 160, and if you're just looking over the last seven days, so ever since we came back from the All-Star break, 26 and 16 is the record for overs. So we've seen quite a few of those. Obviously, a couple games wound up not going on there because of suspended games and everything like that. But favorites ever since the All-Star break, 23-21. and 21. So that has been a little bit dry, but obviously a very small sample size if you're looking overall for the year. Favorites, 8-11, That is a 58.9% clip. And home teams overall are winning 55.1% of the time at 7.66 and 6.24. So that's what we all wound up seeing from Major League Baseball on Sunday. And that's what we're all seeing trend-wise. Now coming up next, we're going to be talking to my good buddy Jeff Parles, me and him, I'm doing the nightcap on the Vegas Ads and Information Network last week, so hopefully you guys were entertained by that. You guys will be entertained today as we're going to be taking a look at the MLB card for Monday, doing a little bit of reaction to what we wound up seeing over the weekend as well, especially with the Mets pulling off that comeback against the Pittsburgh Pirates and so much more. That's on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Winning Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our guest as you may have caught myself and him on the nightcap on the Vegas Ads and Information Network from 7 to 10 p.m. Pacific all last week. Now he is doing a wide variety of things. You're going to be able to catch him during the daytime doing a numbers game on the Vegas Ads and Information Network. If you are looking on the East Coast, that is from 10 to noon. If you're looking on the West Coast, that is from 7 to 9. And then he is going to be doing primetime action. If you're out here on the West Coast, that is from 4 to 7 p.m. And then he is on from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. If you're looking on the East Coast, as it is Jeff Parles, going to be a very, very busy man these next few weeks. And you're able to follow him on Twitter at Easy Enough His Name. Jeff Parles, that is Jeff with a J, not a G-E, and then P-A-R-L-E-S on the last name. And Jeff, great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Of course, Greg. Always good to be on with you, buddy. Always great to have you aboard. And we were talking about this a little bit off air. You could not remember the Mets making a worse on-field play on Sunday than what they did against the Pittsburgh Pirates, allowing three runs to score on a dribbler that... It looked like it was fair. I'm not 100% sure if it was, but you could tell that because Tywin Walker had his hand on the chuck that they wind up calling it fair. 
instead of making the play. The Mets are instead arguing with the umps that allows a whole bunch of runs to score. And somehow, some way, they wind up pulling off the win. Now it leads to an interesting handicap of this game as Jared Eikhoff, who I'm not even kidding, has given up six home runs in 12 and two-thirds innings, is going to be taking the mound for the Mets. Vladimir Gutierrez is going to be on the bump for the Cincinnati Reds, and the Reds are finding themselves right around a minus-125 favor, which I think is going to be a very interesting game, to say the least, especially with the Reds getting swept against the Milwaukee Brewers, and I could see all calamity breaking loose in this game. Man, the Reds really blew a golden opportunity to get back in this thing. We were talking about it all week on the nightcap. They win the last three going into the all-star break against Milwaukee, and they get three more against Milwaukee, thinking, all right, well, you win this series, you're within three. If you sweep, you're within one. The last thing I think either of us thought was Milwaukee was going to go into Great American Ballpark and sweep that series, and that's exactly what happened. So the Brewers now have the biggest lead of anyone in the National League in the divisional races. The only team with a bigger lead in any division is the Chicago White Sox. Played a pretty nice series against the Astros, taking two out of three. But look, I don't know much about Mr. Gutierrez, but I have watched Jared Eikhoff starts. The first start, he smoked and mirrored his way to four scoreless innings. And then, as you said, has given up a zillion home runs since. Hey, you're playing in that ballpark. Total's 10 The Mets actually did hit a little bit this weekend in Pittsburgh. It was their pitching. Again, they ended up winning the game on Sunday with the calamity play, but it was their pitching that failed them. On Saturday night, their two best relievers gave up nine runs in two innings. I mean, you're not going to see that happen so often. So, look, Icobb's bad. Gutierrez, again, the Mets, I think, will hit. So we'll go over 10. I think that would be the angle to play it at, Greg. I don't blame you there. And you mentioned the team with the biggest lead out there of any division leader. That would be the Chicago White Sox. And, They're in a game in game one because they're going to be playing a double dip on Monday that I think that this should be one of the biggest smokings that we've ever seen in a seven-inning game. Lance Lynn, who's got a sub-two ERA and has been magnificent for the White Sox all year long, is going to be going for them. And the Minnesota Twins counter with one of the worst pitchers I have seen all year long in Griffin Jacks, who has given up six home runs in 17 and two-thirds innings. Last time we saw Mr. Jacks, he wound up giving up a bunch of Jacks. Against the Kansas City Royals, five innings pitch, gave up six runs, all of which were earned. Now, the White Sox are a banged-up lineup, but somehow, someway, guys like Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, these guys have been able to do a solid job. The guys that they've called up, like Jake Berger, have been able to do very well. We currently don't know who's going to be going in Game 2 for the White Sox. Got to figure they might be a little bit of an underdog against Jose Barrios and company of the Minnesota Twins, but I'm taking a look at Game 1. I'm seeing the White Sox as a $2 favorite, and Honestly, I think that's short considering how bad Jax has been. First off, I would imagine Mr. Jax was actually a MLB The Show generated player like the guy you didn't. Again, you know basically everyone who plays in Major League Baseball like you do in college basketball, Greg. There was someone, I forget who it was this week, that you legitimately did not even know. Whoever it was on the Diamondbacks, that position player who was Stuart a Fairchild. That's right, yeah. You didn't even know who he is. I'll be completely honest with you. Until looking up at this, I didn't know who Mr. Jax was. And here's what I'll say. Six and a half, seven. I know the wind in Chicago at both stadiums. Obviously, it's a bigger impact at Wrigley. But if the wind's blowing in with the way that the stadium on the set, that guaranteed rate is built on the south side, you can get a lot of low-scoring games. But Jax's numbers are terrible. The White Sox offense is still pretty darn good, even with all their injuries. 
Minnesota's offense is good enough to give you two runs. I would go over six and a half or seven. I mean, the total's just too low. I don't want to lay $2 with the White Sox, even though it's probably all right. Maybe throw it in a parlay with another favorite, but I would imagine it'll be Laster Jacks for the White Sox <laughs> on Monday night. And I rarely take the run line in seven inning games just because you've got fewer at-bats with the home team, but I'm getting a plus price on the run line with the White Sox. Sign me up for that because I could see a scenario in which you wind up having something like 5 nothing, 6 nothing with the White Sox where Lance Lynn legitimately throws a complete game, gives up like one run, and they just completely just blast Mr. Jacks as you were talking about as we do have Jeff Parles of the Vegas Heads and Information Network joining me on the podcast. And then what I think is going to be the game of the night, and it is the latest one, that'd be the San Francisco Giants against the LA Dodgers. We're finding this a relatively a pick'em Dodgers, very slight favorite over the Giants, and I don't understand why, because with Kevin Gossman, he has legitimately been, other than Jacob DeGrom, who's currently injured, the best pitcher in the NL so far this year. A buck 35 ERA away from home. Five and two record. He has given up four home runs in 66 and two thirds innings when he's been away from San Francisco. Overall, opponents are a buck 59 off of him. Now, good news for the Dodgers is that Tony Gonsolin has looked very solid. He has given up zero or one runs in every one of his starts so far this year. Problem is, he has went four innings or fewer in all but one of those starts so far this year, and you have to rely upon a bullpen that wound up having to go to extra innings, and they have to deal with the elevation change going away from Coors. For a lot of these guys, they wound up spending probably a full week plus in Colorado, which makes the adjustment all the more difficult. And I take a look at this spot, and I think it's a good one to take a little bit of a plus-money shot on the Giants who wound up losing two out of three over the weekend to the Cardinals. So the question that we have had all year with how good the Giants have been is when will the regression come, Greg? And I don't want to say that losing two out of three to the Cardinals, who were one of the biggest underachievers of everyone in the first half, is the beginning of the regression. But look, series against the Dodgers in L.A. would be a place where a regression could absolutely start. No, and by the way, after three games at home against the Pirates this upcoming weekend, which you would imagine that the Giants would take two out of three in, they get the Dodgers and the Astros leading yourselves into the trade deadline. Granted, then they flip around and get six games against the Diamondbacks, who might be the worst team in baseball history when this season is all said and done. But look, I do agree with you for this individual game. You're not going to see Kevin Gosman be a dog very often this year. It's actually a shame that it's Tony Gonsolin on the other side. Again, I know Kershaw's hurt. But if you were to get like Kershaw or Bueller or even Urias in this spot, You'd be looking at a much better price than plus 110 (laughs) on the Giants and really have an opportunity to get a nice plus number with Gosman, who, again, with DeGrom being out and it being unknown how long he's going to have to be out, I don't mind sprinkling a little money on Kevin Gosman to win the NL Cy Young. If DeGrom doesn't pitch again, I think he's probably done enough to win the award, but it's hard to give a season-long award for someone who uh, who misses an extended period of time. So you can get Kevin Gosman at like 35-1 to 1 still at a lot of spots. I don't think that's a horrible bet. I would only take the Giants uh, plus 110. And I'd also look to a first five under with four. The Giants offense, again, I think that's the bigger regression thing that we're going to see in the second half, more than their pitching, because their pitchers are pretty darn good to begin with. I expect their offense to hit a little bit of a snag here. The Dodgers are pretty random, Greg. They really are for a team as good as they are. I I would look to a first five under here, and I would look to the Giants for the full game. I'm with you on Kevin Gosman being worth a shot on the Cy Young because with Jacob deGrom, while he's done an amazing job in his 15 starts across 92 innings, it's hard to give a guy an award in which he plays 15 games, and I don't care what the scenario is. You Typically, when you see a guy pitch 92 innings, he's like some reliever plus or something like that, not an actual starter. So I would be leaning towards 
Kevin Gosman, if he winds up going the 200-plus settings, making 30 starts, I think that if he winds up keeping this up, he's got a good shot of being able to take that down, as we do have Jeff Parles of the Vegas Sets and Information Network joining me on the podcast. And then, Jeff, what we wound up seeing the last two nights, uh, the Red Sox has me concerned a little bit. On Sunday Night Baseball, this team just did not look good at all. Now they are going to be having to go to Buffalo, and they're going to be facing off against a Blue Jays team that they just blasted the Texas Rangers into oblivion on Sunday, winning that doubleheader by a combined 15 to nothing. So they've got a very well-rested bullpen, Ross Stripling. Not necessarily the world's greatest starter, but with that said, he's looked a little bit better recently. He's going to be going up against a guy, Nick Bavetta, who has given up 10 runs in 10 innings against the Blue Jays so far this year. The Red Sox are finding themselves a bit of an underdog in. I do think that the Red Sox should be an underdog. I'm taking a look at the Blue Jays in this spot. They have been the best offense at home so far this year, despite the fact that they have alternated between going from Dunedin, Florida, to Buffalo. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on the Boston Red Sox in this game and moving forward, but I think we're starting to see some regression with them as well. Garrett Cole in the last two starts has looked like Garrett Cole again, which is very important for the Yankees moving forward. But a Yankee Stadium series where you're only scoring six runs? That's pretty alarming, Greg. There was always going to be concern about the Red Sox because, Greg, we've talked about it at length. In many mediums, the Red Sox pitching was significantly better than you would have imagined through this first half. And it's just hard to see that collection of pitchers holding up well enough through the second half. Now their lineup is more than good enough to get hot. We know that when you have a top five in that order like that, you're going to be kept in games because your offense is that good. But look, this is a dangerous series coming up against the Blue Jays, who, again, this will be the last series they have in Buffalo before they are able to go back and play their games at home again in the Rogers Center for the first time in almost two full years. You and I talked about this on the nightcap. The Blue Jays are a team where they are young enough. Their lineup is spectacular, as we know. They actually have the same amount of runs as the Red Sox do right now after that thrashing of Texas in the doubleheader. And their pitching is actually pitched pretty well. They have the best run differential in the AL East. They just didn't have those games early in the year where the back end of the rotation failed them. We'd be talking about Toronto being a legitimate team to come out of the AL East. This would be a good spot for them to get going against Boston in this series in Buffalo. And Greg, I would only look to Toronto even with Stripling on the mound in this one. I agree with you. I do think that the Blue Jays' offense is one of the most explosive out there in baseball. And when you take a look at the Blue Jays, they're just one of those teams in which things don't necessarily align because they've got a plus 95 run differential. That is third best in the American League. Yet they're at 48 and 42. Meanwhile, you've got the Seattle Mariners at 50 and 44. And we talked about this negative 51 run differential. So, That is going to be very fascinating to see if things wind up coming back to earth a little bit there. And Jeff, when you take a look at the board for Monday, it is a little bit of an interesting one because I mentioned the doubleheader that we've got between the Twins and the White Sox. We just don't know the set pitcher that is going to be going for the White Sox in that one. But we do have some fascinating games. The Poopy Pirates and the Poopy Diamondbacks are going to be doing battle. Joy Otani is going to be on the mound. You've got the Detroit Tigers and Texas Rangers sending out their aces, two guys that I think are going to be big-time players with Casey Mize moving forward for the Tigers in future years, and Kyle Gibson might wind up getting moved at the deadline, so you've got that going on. Is there a game or two in particular that you're going to have your eye on, whether it be a bet that you're going to be targeting, or just watching, maybe taking a look and gathering inventory for a futures play or just future games in general? Am I reading my screen right that the Diamondbacks are favored? Yes, you are. Am I reading that right? Yeah, we'll take the Pirates. Hey. I thankfully did not bet the Diamondbacks again after Friday, but they lost in some spectacular fashion on Saturday and Sunday. Your guy, Joaquin Soria, blew the save on Saturday. 
And then Sunday, it kind of got swept under the rug because of what happened early in that Met game with that 14-foot dribbler that scored three runs for Pittsburgh. But Cole Calhoun had one of the worst base running blunders you're ever going to see on what ended up being an inning-ending double play because he stopped running to first base, which was one of the most ridiculous things that you're ever going to see. But look, here's what I'll say with this. They're both bad teams. There's no arguing that. But after watching the Pirates now for the last two weeks, they're at least trying, Greg. They're just a bad team. And when you're a bad team, you obviously lose a lot of games. But at least they're trying. And those guys are trying and putting forth an A-plus effort every single day. The Diamondbacks don't care. They haven't cared for months. And when you're, what is it, 26 and 69 now? I don't even know how you even get up, go to the ballpark, and even go to work when you're that pathetic. So the Diamondbacks, I understand why they're favored. It's at home. The Pirates stink too. If you're getting a plus price against Arizona, you just got to take it, Greg. I'm right there with you with the Pirates. You actually did have two all-star starters as well. Adam Frazier, Brian Reynolds, these guys have been solid. The bullpen of the Pirates is not too bad. Not Meanwhile, bad. with the Arizona Diamondbacks, they had to have Merrill Kelly bat for himself with men on second and third, and I believe it was the bottom of the seventh inning. Now, granted, his pitch count was low, but that's because with this Diamondbacks bullpen, you have no faith in them whatsoever. They have a combined 70 RA over the last 30 days. Guys like Noah Ramirez, Matt Peacock, these guys are absolutely terrible, which is the exact opposite of you, Jeff Parles. You do an absolutely terrific job over there at the Vegas Ads and Information Network. You're going to be working hard these next few weeks, filling in for Gil Alexander on a numbers game along with primetime action. So you're going to be pulling two-a-days. You're going to be doing some great work early. You're going to be doing some great work late. And then you're going to be doing some work on the weekends as well. So love the good people at home. Know what you've all got going on and how they're able to find you on social media and elsewhere. Yeah, so this week, Greg, you mentioned a very busy schedule for me. Gil Alexander, well-earned vacation. He's off for two weeks, so I'm uh, playing the role of Gil the next two weeks. So a numbers game from 10 to noon Eastern, 7 to 9 Pacific in the morning. It's producer number five and producer number seven, so a bunch of oddballs there <laughs> for a numbers game. And then primetime action, 7 o'clock Eastern time it starts, goes 7 to 10 on the East Coast, 4 to 7 out here. In Vegas, myself, Adam Candy, Danielle Obari will be with us most of those days. Danielle has a vacation later this week, so it'll be just me and Adam. We got Kelly Bidlin and Ben Wilson sits in the producer's chair, which producer, very important on that show, as they all are. Ben will have a little more of a on-air role than most producers do at the network. And then, yeah, look, at Jeff Parles on the tweets. And then over the weekend, uh, no days off here, Greg. Over the weekend, I'll be with our guy, Wes Reynolds. Definitely looking forward to all of it. Bill Belichick would be very proud of you as he famously screamed a few years ago, no days off. Greg, that was the most excited Bill Belichick has ever been in his entire life. And I'm sure that this is the most excited that the network has ever been as well. Having Jeff Parles (laughs) on morning to night, it is absolutely spectacular. So they should be rightfully excited because Jeff does absolutely magnificent work and he is kind enough to join me occasionally on this podcast as well. So big thanks to Jeff Farrells for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. It is that time of the podcast to give you a signed journal on every game on the betting board for this Monday and a little something you like to call Touch Em All. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. 
Always great to have our good buddy Jeff Parles of the Vegas Hats and Information Network aboard. He is going to be doing literally a little bit of everything over there at Visa in the next few weeks. So great to get him aboard while we can since he is going to be a very busy man, but he's going to be busy making you money. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the Monday MOB betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarensCordy1. As per usual, going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. That means that we are going to be going with the National League games first, then the American League games, and then any interleague games would be at the bottom, but we do not have any. We do have a doubleheader between the Twins and the White Sox, so I'm going to go a little out of rotation order and just hit both of those games at the same time. So we've got all that covered. Most of these games have starters announced, but ironically enough, the first game does not. As we lead off with 951-952 on the betting board, the Miami Marlins hit the road to face off against the Washington Nationals. Right now, it's to be determined for the Miami Marlins. It is to be determined for the Washington Nationals. It was looking like John Lester for the Nationals, and it was looking like Trevor Rogers for the Miami Marlins, but this is a case of anyone's guess. And for the Miami Marlins, what I can guess is that we're probably not going to see too much of a display of offense in this one. They have scored four runs or fewer in now three out of their last four games coming out of the All-Star break. This is a team that, in general, is in the bottom five in most offensive categories. Now, they do have two guys that have been able to hit quite well for them. You've been able to get quite a bit of something out of Adam Duvall along with Asus Aguiar. Both of these guys north of 50 RBI for Duvall. He has now reached a 20 home run plateau. And for Garrett Cooper, he is someone that has been able to do a little bit of something for this team as well. He's been a tad bit banged up, but wound up being able to play yesterday. That is good for the team. 380 on base, 285 batting average. And then you do have the Marte Parte of Starling Marte with right around 8390 on base. Not a lot of homers, but he's been solid. Miguel Ross has been able to get on base, 270 batting average along Jazz Chislam, who's hitting at 250. But a lot of guys like Jorge Alfaro, John Birdie, you're able to throw in there someone like Izan Diaz, Monte Harrison, bunch of guys hitting a 225 or lower for this team. And then for the Washington Nationals, they're dealing with the injury to Kyle Schwarber. And the country spot in general has been rough for this team. I know that I was talking to Josh Hours on Visa on Sunday, and I think that he was explaining that that was a big reason why we have seen the Nationals just give up a whole bunch of runs recently. As Rene Rivera and Trace Barilla is the two guys that are catching for the scene, but Alcides Escobar has actually been really good with the bat thus far. He's hitting nearly at 300 for the Washington Nationals. Josh Harrison has right around a 350 on base. Juan Soto, ever since really the last week of the regular season prior to the All-Star break, has been able to heat up as well. He winds a going deep yesterday, 14th home run of the season, third since the All-Star break. He has been able to deliver a whole lot of something. Gerardo Parra, a.k.a. our good friend Baby Shark, is back in the fold for this team as well. Not necessarily hitting it so well. He, Victor Robles, both hitting below a 210, but he have been able to get a lot of something out of trade. Turner down for what? Who's hitting right around 320-17 armors, right around 20 stolen bases for him as well. The big thing for the National is that they were able to rest their bullpen yesterday. Brad and Danny Hudson wound up both getting used, but Kyle Finnegan should be good to go in this one. Sam Clay is not necessarily been too terrific, but you have been able to get a little bit of something out of Austin both as well. And Wander I swear, oh, this guy sucks, is going to be active. Meanwhile, for the Miami Marlins, I think that this is a team that they're going to have a little bit more in the pen for this one. You've got the two former Dodgers in Yimi Garcia along Dylan Floro that both did not wind up pitching yesterday. You did wind up having Anthony Bender come into the game, but by and large, you do have a little bit more rest. When it comes to Miami Marlins, if it would be something like Trevor Rogers versus 
John Lester, I'd be making the Marlins a little bit of a favorite. We just really need to know what the pitching matchup is going to be. I do think that things are going to be much more calm in this series for the Nationals, though, than they were in their last series, in which they wound up giving up right around, like, 50 runs against the Padres. So, check back in the morning my Twitter feed at JaronScore. He won, but probably looking at right around an 8 to an 8.5-ish total, depending on who winds up starting. And probably going to be looking at the Marlins as a slight favorite if you wind up getting John Luster. 9.53, 9.54 on the bang board. The New York Metropolitans sit their face off against the Cincinnati Reds. We are in the Cincinnati, and they're on to Vladimir Gutierrez getting the serve for them. Jared Eikhoff is going to be going for the Mets. Totals anywhere between 9.5 and 10.5. Quite a range here, as this was announced late with Eikhoff not being known as a starter until... Literally just before I came on this podcast with the 10.5 over and under are both at minus 110. That's at Circa. Westgate has a 9.5 over as just a minus 120. The under is even. If you're looking at the Reds, anywhere between minus 117 and minus 126 is what you are laying. If you're looking at the Metropolitans, you're going to be finding them anywhere between a plus 107 and a plus 115. Let's put it to you this way. Vladimir Gutierrez, not necessarily the world's greatest pitcher in the world, but I have a very tough time backing him in this spot. You've got a Reds team that... Should be quite hungry after they wound up getting swept by the Milwaukee Brewers. That was not good. The Reds had a chance to be able to climb back in the divisional race. They were unable to do so. And they've got two very good bats. Nick Cassianos along Jesse Winker. A pair of guys hitting north of a 290 for this team. These two guys along with Eugenio Suarez all hitting at least 18 homers for this team. At the top, Jonathan Indy has a 395 on base. Now the bullpen has been a little bit of an issue. And they wound up using a couple guys yesterday. Tony Sandlin along with Sionado Perez. But... I do like what you've been able to get out of Brad Brock recently. This is a bunch that Josh Osich has been able to step up for as well. Taylor Naquin has also been solid for this team. Out there in the outfield, inning right around 245. He's been able to give the team 13 homers. He's been better at home than he's been on the road. And then you take a look at the best. They were able to come back against the Pittsburgh Pirates yesterday, but they had to use a whole lot of bullpen pieces to get there. As Taiwan Walker gave you one out as a starter. Bullpen from their winds going eight and two-thirds innings scoreless, but that means that Trevor May, Jersich Familia, Aaron Loop, Drew Smith, they all wound up getting used up yesterday, and Edwin Diaz, as we saw him, he was giving up a grand slam to the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's not great now. Good news is J.D. Davis is back. Small sample size for him so far this year, but he's hitting a 388. That is going to be able to help them out. And they've got quite a few guys hitting in that neighbor of about a 250 to a 260. You've got Thomas Nito, James McCann. Dom Smith, Jeff McNeil, along with Pete Alonso, all in that pocket in for Alonso. 17 home runs so far this year. At some point, Francisco Lindor is going to pick it up. He has just not been good in general so far this year. As he, Kevin Pillar, you're able to throw in there. Jose Peraza, all guys are in below a 225 for this team. You haven't gotten a lot out of Jonathan VR, Michael Conforto, still trying to make his way off the injured list. And then you just take a look at Jared Eikhoff in general. He has given up six home runs in 12 and two-thirds innings. He has been giving up right around a walk every three innings or so. This is a man that for his career has not been great. A 750 road ERA opponents for the year, hitting north of 300 off of him with Vladimir Gutierrez. He has not necessarily been overly terrific, but at the same time, he has given up three runs or fewer in now three out of his last four starts. At home, he has been Having a little bit of a rough go of it with a 5.71 ERA and three starts has given up five home runs in 17 and a third innings, but against the Mets, I think he's going to be able to help him out a little bit. Wound up saying the Reds as a minus 145 favorite, so I'm going to be looking there. And when it comes to this total, this is one that I wound up setting at 9.4, so I'm actually going to be diving under to go along with the Red Legs. 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board. We've got the Salam Diego Padres sitting the red face off against the Atlanta Braves. Game that is currently off the board as we know that it's going to be one. You, Darvish, going for the Padres. Meanwhile, 
for the Braves. I'm currently seeing Kyle Mueller on the board for the Braves, but that was announced very late, and this is a little bit subject to change, so this is a game that is presently off the board, but I've got numbers for you if it winds up being Mueller against Darvish, setting the Padres as a minus-178 favorite. On the run line of laying run and F, I'd be setting them at minus-122 there, and an 8.4 total. So in 8 or lower, going to be taking a look at the over. 8.5 or higher, going to be taking a look at the under. With the Padres, they wound up having a massive weekend in Washington with regards to the offense. Got to feel like they're going to be coming back to earth a little bit in this spot. You've got Darvish, who has been able to do a great job all year long, but has been in a little bit of a tough stretch recently, giving up at least four runs in three out of his last five starts, and uncharacteristically has given up five homers in his last five starts as well. You take a look at him overall on the road this year, a 371 ERA, so hasn't been necessarily as effective as he's been in San Diego, giving up four home runs in 34 innings. Meanwhile, you take a look at Mr. Mueller. He has only made three career starts, four total appearances, so you don't have a lot to go off of here. He's got a career 345 ERA, but he's also a gentleman that has given up a combined eight walks in his last three starts. And that's over the course of 14 and two-thirds innings, only giving up one home run in the process. But still, you got a small sample size for one, a guy that is giving up a lot of free passes, and a San Diego Padres lineup in which you've got a whole lot of firepower with this team. Trent Grisham, Manny Machado, Jake Cronenworth, Tommy Pham, Fernando Tatis Jr., Eric Osmer, all hitting above a 270 right now. Really, all of these guys, aside from Osmer, have an on-base percentage as north of a 340, and for Osmer, that's a 334. You've got, obviously, Mr. Tatis Jr. hitting a bunch of homers, 28 so far this season. It also does lead the league in air, so that plays into the total a little bit as well, because he gets you runs, and he also gives them up in the field as well. And then you take a look at the Atlanta Braves. You've got yourself a bunch in which is trying to replace Ronald Acuna Jr. They're trying to do so with Jack Peterson, and for Peterson, he looked very good in his first series as an Atlanta Brave overall this year. He's sitting right around at 238, which is in the same pocket as Dainsby Swanson. Swanson has been able to give this team 16 homers, including his time with the Cubs. Peterson currently at 12 so far this year. You have Freddie Freeman, Ozzie Albies, along with Allison Riley. All these guys have been able to crank out the homers. At least 15 home runs for all three of these gentlemen with Freddie Freeman. Really not picking it up. Hitting above a 280, 21 homers. He has been able to do a very good job for this team. And then when you take a look at the bullpen, the San Diego Padres certainly have the edge there with the Atlanta Braves. This is a bunch in which they have been able to do a little bit better recently. Tyler Mazek has been a little bit up and down, but he's been doing some of his best pitching. He's one of the few guys that did not wind up pitching yesterday. It's Luke Jackson, A.J. Minter, Josh Shomlin, Shane Green, all wound up coming out of the bullpen. And for Green, use up for only six pitches, but a 9.75 ERA so far this year. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Padres, best bullpen ERA in the big leagues entering into their series against the Washington Nationals. Emilio Pagan wound up getting taken deep in the game yesterday, so you got to figure that he's not going to be available. They wound up pitching Mark Melanson as well, but guys like Tim Hill, Austin Adams, Pierce Johnson, these guys have been very good out of the bullpen. I take a look at this spot, and I do think that the Padres behind Mr. U Darvish should be a relatively sizable favorite. Set them at minus 178 on the money line, and like I said, Ader Lohr going to be taking a look at the over. Ain Afri are going to be taking a look at an under. 957-958 on the betting board. The St. Louis Cardinals going to be playing on the Chicago Cubs. You've got Alec Mills going for the Cubs. Jake Woodford is going to be going for the Cardinals. The Cardinals are finding themselves currently as a little bit of an underdog in most spots. You're going to be finding them anywhere between a minus 105 and you're going to be finding them as good as a plus 102 as well. Meanwhile, if you take a look at the Cubbies, you're going to be finding them as good as a minus 105, as bad as a minus 112 with your total on this game at 9. Unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The overs anywhere between even and minus 105. Not sure if I can necessarily trust in 
both of these pitchers to be able to keep this game under. Now, I will say Alec Mills in the role of starter actually has a lower ERA than he does as a reliever. He's only been taken deep five times in 48 and two-thirds innings so far this year, and you take a look at his starts. He's given up three runs or fewer in each out of his last four, so he's been relatively solid there, and he's given up a combined seven runs in those last four starts, and he's given up four walks in that time as well, so he has actually been able to do a relatively decent job of holding down the fort. Three blocks per nine innings, a tad bit high, but something that you can work with. Meanwhile, you take a look at Mr. Woodford. He has been mostly used as a reliever. He's got one career start to his credit. Typically, he's used for multiple innings throughout his career. He's made 29 appearances, 46 in a third innings, so he's someone that he's not going to give you tremendous length, but he is able to give you a little bit of length. He has so given up in his career. 12 home runs in 46 in a third innings. Now, you take a look at him this year. He has given up five bombs in 25 in a third innings, but he's been able to hold down the fort a little bit as opponents have not necessarily been hitting him. Two hard 23 hits in 25 in a third innings. This is really going to be all hands on deck for the St. Louis Cardinals, who did wind up using up some of their more trustworthy bullpen pieces yesterday. Genesis Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos, Alex Reyes, all guys with sub-4 ERAs, wind up getting thrown yesterday. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, this is a team that they just have not necessarily been able to generate a lot on offense in general. They have scored three runs or fewer in two out of the three games coming out of the All-Star break in general, other than their two games against the Cubs. This is a team that they just have not been able to get things generated. Now, you do have quite a few guys hitting between about a 250 to a 270. Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Dylan Carlson, Yadier Molina, Umando Sosa are all in that fold. You're able to throw in their Harrison Bader with a 243 as well. And I will say, for Tyler O'Neill, he's hitting a 277. He's been able to pump out 16 home runs so far this year. Nolan Arenado has been able to go deep quite a bit as well. Paul DeYoung has been able to heat up a little bit as well. He's hitting above the Mendoza line, but not necessarily what you want there. And for the Cubs, this is a bunch in which they just wound up losing to the Arizona Diamondbacks, and they didn't necessarily look great in that series. Now, Patrick Wisdom is giving you a home run every about 10 or so at bats. Javi Baez has been able to deliver the boom as he, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, along with Wilson Contreras are all guys that have a double-digit amount of homers so far this year with Contreras right around a 350 on base. Rizzo and Chris Bryant are between a 340 and a 350 themselves with Bryant hitting more like a 270 and for Avi Bias. Doesn't walk a lot, but has been able to give this team 20-plus homers, so that's a little bit of something, but I will say for the Cubs, their bullpen is in the top eight with regards to ERA this season, but over the last three days, it's north of five we wound up seeing. Yesterday, they wind up having their bullpen go for a combined three and a third innings, giving up four runs, all of which were earned. Dan Winkler, Rex Brothers, both wind up getting used up yesterday. Now, Craig Kimbrell is a guy that you're going to be able to look to. Ryan Tapera has been relatively solid for this team as well. And Keegan Thompson is someone that has been very good for this team as well. But I do take a look at the Cardinals. I do think that they're going to be able to get these bats online a little bit. I think that Alec Mills probably gives you a relatively solid four or five innings. But I do take a look at the recent woes of the Cubs bullpen, and I think it's going to be tough. And you just take a look at the Cubs on the road in general. This is a team that they have not been very good away from Wrigley Field, 18-30 and 30 overall this year. So I want to make in the St. Louis Cardinals a very slight favorite in the spot. So we're going to be going with the Cardinals. Also want to sing the soil 9.1. So I'm going to be going over along with the cards. We move on to game number 959-960 on the betting board. It is the Arizona Diamondbacks playing us the Pittsburgh Pirates. Chase DeYoung is going to be going for the Pirates. Meanwhile, you've got for the Diamondbacks, Mr. Caleb Smith, who's going to be on the bump for them. And 
The Arizona Diamondbacks are finding themselves as a favorite. Myself and Jeff were making some fun about this with the Diamondbacks anywhere between minus 124 and minus 130. Meanwhile, with the Pirates, anywhere between plus 114 and plus 119. 9 to 9.5 is your total. On the 9, over is minus 120. The under is even on the 9.5. Over and under are both at minus 110. And this is a situation in which I just take a look at it, and you're getting the Pittsburgh Pirates at plus money to fade the Arizona Diamondbacks. I recognize that the Pirates suck, but myself and Jeff were talking about it. At the very least, the Pirates look halfway competent right now. You've got a pair of guys that wound up starting in the All-Star game with Brian Reynolds along with Adam Frazier. Both of these guys have north of a 385 on base. Both of these guys hitting above a 300. Wilmer Defoe has actually been a nice find for this team. 350 on base, 290 batting average. Problem is, this is a team that they rank in the bottom three in home runs, both at home and on the road, so you need a little bit more than just Brian Reynolds hitting the home runs. He's got 17 of them so far this year. Other than Mr. Gregory Palonco, who's got nine of them, you don't really have any guy with eight or more, and you've got a bunch of guys that are slugs in this lineup as well. Kevin Newman, Philip Evans, you're able to throw in there. Mr. Palonco, Kaye Tom, all these guys are hitting at 215 or lower, but the good news for the Pirates is that their bullpen is relatively solid. They did wind up using up quite a few guys yesterday, and Kyle Crick has not necessarily been himself in recent weeks, but he should be able to give you a little bit of something. You gotta think that someone like a David Bernard is gonna be able to come out of the bullpen as well. Jason Shreve has been solid for the years under Diamondbacks over the last three days. They're a team with a seven bullpen ERA, and you've got one guy that has more than 10 home runs so far this year. That'd be Eduardo Escobar, 21 homers. He's been able to hit about a 250 for this team, and you got a lot of guys hitting between a 250 and a 260 for this team, as Paven Smith, David Peralta, Josh Roas are all in that fold, and for Roas, he has been able to give you 10 home runs, but really past that, you don't have a lot with this team. J.C. Young has not been great. He has given up eight home runs in 38 and two-thirds innings, and he has been giving up a little bit over four walks per nine innings, but you take a look at Caleb Smith. In his last two starts, he's given up a combined 14 runs in his last seven innings. He's now rocking a 454 ERA. You take a look at what he's done in Arizona so far this year, a 399 ERA. He has opponents hitting right around a 200 off of him, but still, this is someone that has not necessarily been able to show throughout his career any consistency whatsoever, giving up four walks per nine innings, and he's backed up by an absolutely terrible bullpen. So this is a situation in which I'm going to be taking the plus price with the Pirates. I want to make them a favorite. Also want to saying the total 8.9 because while you do have a pair of bad pitchers, you also have a pair of bad offenses. So we're going to be going under along with the Pirates. 961-962 on the betting board. The San Francisco Giants at third phase off against the LA Dodgers. Tony Gonsolin is going to be going for the Dodgers. Kevin Gosman is going to be on the bump for the Giants. Giants are finding themselves as slight underdogs. Anywhere between a plus 107 and a plus 114. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Dodgers, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 117 and minus 124. Your total is 8. With the 8, you're finding that over anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 110. So you can straighten that out there as well. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. We keep saying that regression is going to be coming in for the San Francisco Giants, and I think that the fact that they wind up losing two out of three to the Cardinals is going to take a lot of people off of them a little bit and say, oh, look, the regression is coming in. I'm not one of those people. You take a look at what wound up happening in their loss yesterday. They wind up stranding like 10 men on base. It was one of those things in which they looked like the better team. They were just unable to get those timely hits and I think that that's going to be coming through in this game and I think that they're going to do a good job of being able to get to Gonsolin who I think is doing for some regression. One run or fewer given up in every one of his appearances so far this year. Now he has been able to give you right around 11 strikeouts per 9 innings but this is also a guy that has given up 15 walks in 25 in a third inning so he's giving up just under 6 walks per 9 innings. 
Kevin Gosman, I mentioned it with our good buddy Jeff Parles. Buck 35 ERA. Four home runs given up in 66 and two-thirds innings when he's been on the road. Overall, 173 ERA with opponents hitting about a buck 58 off of him. And for the San Francisco Giants, you've got a lot of guys that have an on-base percentage that's right around 100 points higher than their batting average. Mike Yusermski is in that full 240 batting average, 340 on-base. Wilmer Flores, 250 batting average, 330 on-base. Brandon Crawford, 285 batting average, 18 homers, 365 on-base. So you've been seeing a lot of that with this team. Now they are without Buster Posey and that hurts him, but Thario is Estrada has been able to do a good job hitting a 325 for this bunch. And then you take a look at the Dodgers, and they just do a great job of being able to get on base in general. Albert Pujols, not necessarily a great on-base guy, but he's been able to deliver a double-digit amount of homers to L.A. so far this year. Max Muncy, Will Smith getting jiggy with it, along with Chris Taylor, A.J. Pollock, and Mookie Betts, whenever he's been out there, are all guys hitting at least a 260 for this team. All these guys have an on-base percentage that has been really above a 335. If you take out there A.J. Pollock, you've got everyone with north of a 360 on base as well. So that has been very helpful for this team. Zach McKinstry has been able to give you a little bit of something out of the outfield. But for the Dodgers, they did wind up having to burn through a whole bunch of bullpen pieces yesterday. Kenley Jansen winds up blowing the save, but he tried and wound up getting used. Phil Bickford, who has actually been relatively solid for this team, along with Alex Vasilla, wound up getting used up as well. So that's going to be tough because Gonsolin, you can't think is going to give you really much more than four innings. Meanwhile, for the Giants, their bullpen by and large has been able to do a very good job for this team. Caleb Barger is off the injured list. This is a man with an ERA of a 0.49 right now. Dominic Leon, Zach Liddell, Jake McGee, these guys have all been able to do a good job of holding down the fort. I do think that you're going to be getting quite a bit of a lower scoring game in this spot. I wound up setting this total at 6.8, so I'm going to be diving under, but I take a look at this, and I do think that the Giants should be a favorite. I just love the way that Gosman is pitching, so think of the plus price of the Giants along with this total under. 9.63, 9.64 on the betting board. You've got a double dip between the Minnesota Twins and the Chicago White Sox. Other game is 9.73, 9.73. 974, which we currently do not have numbers on because in 973 and 974 we have a to-be-determined pitcher for the White Sox. Meanwhile, one Jose Barrios is going to be going for the Minnesota Twins in 963-964 game. One of this doubleheader. Lance Lynn is going to be on the bump for the White Sox. And Griffin Jacks is going to be on the bump for the Minnesota Twins. Twins find themselves in game one with Jacks versus Lynn. A massive underdog anywhere between plus 175 and plus 190. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the White Sox, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 190 and minus 210, and with the White Sox in this spot, I set them more around a minus 240 favorite. I was willing to lay a price with them on the run line. I'm currently seeing that at plus money. That is very appealing to me. I was mentioning this with our good buddy Jeff. Lance Lynn, a south of two ERA. He has been absolutely masterful for this team, and he's going up against a guy in Griffin Jacks that's allowing more than three home runs per nine innings. It has not been going well for Mr. Jacks, to say the least. And then we take a look at the Minnesota Twins. This is a team in which the bullpen has honestly been too great. Bo Burrows is a guy that they're looking to for innings. Alex Calme has been a big giant waste of money with north of a 4-5 ERA. Wamanai is someone that I don't have a lot of faith in. Taylor Rogers has been able to give you something. Caleb Theobar has not been great. And for the White Sox, they might not need to go to the bullpen in game one. You're going to be looking at the bullpen probably coming in in game two. And I wouldn't be surprised if either Michael Kopech or Rinaldo Lopez wind up getting the start in game two. But if you do need a one-inning guy, Jose Ruiz has been solid for this team. Aaron Bummer off the injured list has not necessarily been too great. But Ryan Burr has been able to have right around a one-ish ERA, and then you just take a look at Jose Barrios in Game 2. He should probably be a favorite. He's been able to generate right around 9.5 strikeouts per 9 innings. 
he has typically been a guy in which he has been worse on the road than he has been at home, but on the road, a 325 ERA compared to a 370 at home so far this season. In nine starts, he's given up five home runs in 52 and two-thirds innings, so he has done a very good job of being able to hold down the fort overall this year in two starts against the Chicago White Sox. Has won 12 innings. He has given up four earned runs, six total runs, so the defense behind him has not necessarily been too great. That has been a little bit of a concern for the Minnesota Twins, but you do take a look at the Twins, and I don't think that the fear is that they're not going to score any runs whatsoever. Josh Donaldson, Alex Kurloff, Ore Palanco, Trevor Larnish, all guys hitting between a 245 and a 255 for Donaldson. He has been able to leave the yard 14 times so far this year. Nelson Cruz has been solved for the same 18 homers. Luis Arias has been able to hit a right around a 300 along Nelson Cruz as well, but then you take a look at the White Sox, and despite the fact that you are without a whole bunch of guys, Luis Robert is still out. Eloy Jimenez has yet to come back this year. Yes, Mighty Grandal is on the injured list. list goes on and on. They've been able to find a whole lot of production as you've got Andrew Vaughn, Jose Abreu, a pair of guys hitting between a 245 and a 255. Abreu, north of 60 RBI. Vaughn is a double-digit amount of formers. Tim Anderson has a 315 batting average. We all remember him winning a batting title a few years ago now. Billy Hamilton, along with Daniel Mendick. These guys are not hitting well, but Jake Berger is hitting a 357. Gavin Sheets has been able to give you a little bit of something. I just think that the White Sox should be able to completely manhandle Game 1. In Game 1, I set the total at 6.1 just because I think that Lance Lynn has a chance to be able to spin a complete game, so we're going to be diving under in that spot, and with the White Sox, they don't necessarily generate a lot of home runs. I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that they're one of the worst teams with regards to home runs per game, so we're going to be looking under in that Game 1, especially with these sevens currently on the board. In Game 1, you're finding between Jacks versus Lance Lynn. A lot of sevens, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120 is the under. Over is anywhere between even and minus 115. Seeing 6.5 out there as well. The over is minus 120 and the under is even. We have no earthly idea who's going to be going for the White Sox. If it would be someone like Kopech versus Jose Barrios, going to be setting the Minnesota Twins as a very slight favorite. If it would be a little bit more of a bullpen game like Aaron Bummer gets a start or something like that, we're probably looking at the Minnesota Twins more as a mid-size, like minus 130-ish favorite. Check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jaren Squirty1, but that's what we're looking at. 965-966 is the New York Post play of the day as the Boston Red Sox hit the road face-off against the Toronto, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays. Ross Stripling is going to be going for the Jays. Nick Pavetta is going to be on the bump for the Boston Red Sox. Red Sox are finding themselves as underdogs in this spot, and rightfully so. Anywhere between plus 114 and plus 120. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Jays, anywhere between minus 123 and minus 130 is your price. 10.5 is your total. On the 10.5 over and under, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And I take a look at Nick Pavetta, and I do think that regression is starting to set in from, and I think that it's going to continue. At least three runs given up in four out of his last six starts in 10 innings pitch against the Toronto, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays. He has given up 10 runs, so we have seen a whole lot of that going on, despite the fact that the Red Sox are 5-4 and four against the Blue Jays so far this year. They've been outscored by 20 runs as well, and you take a look at the Blue Jays. They are coming in just smoking hot, scoring 15 runs in that doubleheader against the Texas Rangers yesterday. Marcus Simeon, Bo Bichette, both of these guys have been absolutely incredible for this team. These two, along with a gentleman in Randall Gritchick, all have at least 16 homers for Bichette. He has been able to hit right around at 275 for Gritchick. He's hitting more in the pocket of a 260. Marcus Simeon, he's got 23 homers so far this year. These guys have been great. Flag Guerrero Jr., 330 batting average, 430 on base, 31 home runs. 
George Springer is not necessarily been able to find it, but you know that that's going to be coming. Lord Scurriel, Reese McGuire, pair of guys hitting between a 265 and a 270 as well. And then you take a look at the bullpen of the Toronto Blue Jays. It's relatively rested for the fact that you wind up having everything that you did yesterday, so that is a very good sign for them. You're going to have Trevor Richards available if you need him. Hunjin Ryu was able to turn a complete game in Game 1, so that's good. Jacob Barnes is someone that they recently acquired. Ryan Baruki is off the injured list, so you're able to rely upon him. Rafael Dolis wound up pitching yesterday, but you still have someone like a Jordan Romano, who you're able to rely upon. And for the Boston Red Sox, I do expect a little bit of regression with guys like Darwinson Hernandez and company. Garrett Woodlock had to come into that game yesterday against the Yankees, so that was no bueno for them. Brandon Workman, he wound up throwing 33 pitches yesterday. Now, you're going to have Adam Adovino out there in the bullpen. That should be able to help them out, but the Red Sox look a little bit lost at the plate. They had a bunch of hittable pitches on Sunday Night Baseball, and they did not wind up taking advantage of them, and that's part of it as well. They wound up playing on Sunday Night Baseball, so they had to do a little bit of late travel. That is not necessarily convenient for them. Now, you do have Christian Arroyo, Rafael Devers, along with Alex Verdugo, all in between a 270 and a 280 for Devers. 22 homers, 72 RBI. He has been solved for this team. Michael Chavis has come off the injured list, but it's done nothing. He's going to ride around at 200. They're looking to their young guy in Jaron Duran to be able to give them a little bit of something. Very small sample size there, so I'm not necessarily going to judge him for his buck 67 batting average. You do have Christian Vasquez, Kevin Ploiecki, along with Hunter Renfro, only between a 245 and a 260, but Renfro has been in an 0-16 slump with men in scoring position recently. Xander Bogarts is hitting a 320. He's been solid in J.D. Martinez. We all know about this gentleman, 19 homers, hitting nearly a 300. That's relatively good, but I do think that Ross Stripling, despite the fact that he's given up 16 home runs in 74 and two-thirds innings, is much more reliable than Nick Pavetta. He has been giving up right around three walks per nine innings, but with Pavetta, a little bit over four walks per nine innings. He's only given up right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings, but you just take a look at what Pavetta has done recently. It's not something that I necessarily want to sign up for, just giving up as many runs as he has recently, and if you take a look at it, he has given up a combined nine home runs in his last six starts, so he is getting taken deep out there in Buffalo. It is a very hitter-friendly ballpark, to say the least, so this is a situation in which I wind up saying the Blue Jays as a relatively sizable favorite here, more around a minus 138, so I'm going to be taking the Blue Jays with my New York Post play of the day. Also wind up saying this all at 10.4. I do think that the Blue Jays are going to get some good bullpen pitching, and I do think that the Red Sox are struggling a little bit at the plate, so taking the under, New York Post play of the day is the Blue Jays. 967-968 on the betting board. We have the Tampa Bay Rays, and they're going to be playing against the Baltimore Orioles. Spencer Watkins is going to be going for the Orioles. Ryan Yarbrough is going to be on the bump for the Rays. Rays are finding themselves as big favorites here. Anywhere between minus 212 and minus 220. Meanwhile, if you're looking at a plus price with the Orioles, you're going to be getting them anywhere between plus 190 and plus 196. Nine is your total. Unders anywhere between minus 150 and minus 120. Overs anywhere between even and minus 105. Ryan Yarbrough has always been better when an opener has come in from throughout his career. 24-5 and five is his record when he winds up coming into games as a reliever. As a starter, he's actually sub-500, but overall this year he's been relatively solid. He has given up 1.4 home runs per nine innings, but with Yarbrough as well. 1.5 walks per nine innings, which is absolutely tremendous for him. You take a look at what he's been able to do over his last three starts. He has went a combined 16 innings, giving up five runs. He's been able to do a good job of holding it down there. One walk or fewer in four out of his last five starts as well, so I do like what I'm seeing there. Meanwhile, you take a look at Spencer Watkins. He has really made two career starts for the Orioles, and so far, so good. He also made a one-inning appearance against the LA Angels as well, but he's only given up two career runs. He looked relatively solid at the AAA level. He is a 28-year-old, so a little bit of a late bloomer here. He has good stuff, but here's the issue. He's backed up by an Orioles bullpen that is not too terrific. Now, the good news is they did shut out the Royals yesterday, so they look solid 
solid there, but in the process, Cole Solzer, Dylan Tate were both used for 17-plus pitches. Sanders got Adam Plutko also got used up, which means that you do have Tyler Wells in the bullpen. He's relatively solid along with Paul Fry, but we've noticed a couple of these guys like A.C. Sarveldez, Sean Anderson. These guys are absolutely awful. And then you take a look at the Orioles. The lineup has been relatively solid for this team. Ryan Moncastle, Trey Boomo Mancini, along with Cedric Mullins. All these guys have given you at least 14 home runs for Moncastle and Mancini, both in between a 250 and a 255. And for Mullins, he's hitting a 313 with a 380 on base. Got a couple other guys that have been able to come through for you. Ramon Odias hitting a 287 for this team. Austin Hayes is hitting in the pocket of about a 250. Pedro Severino has been up and down. He's hitting about a 230. But then you've got a whole bunch of guys that they need to get their act together. Francisco, Austin wins. Ryan McKenna. Domingo Leyva, DJ Stewart, Stevie Wilkerson, all these guys are in a 210 or lower for this team. And then you take a look at the Tampa Bay race. You do have a couple guys with low batting averages like a Brandon Lyle, like a Mike Zanino, but all these guys have been able to do a good job of being able to hit for power. And with both of these guys, their on-base percentage is right around 100 points higher than their actual batting average. With Lyle, 21 homers, Mike Zanino has won team 19 times, Randy Otto's Arena hitting right around 245, but at 330 on-base, Austin Meadows, 240 batting average, 330 on-base, Meadows, 16 homers, 63 RBI. He has been productive. Yandy Diaz has a 375 on base despite just a 255 batting average. So you've been able to get a lot of something there. Joey Wendell has been a little bit in and out of the fold, but he's been able to get a 280 for the team. And we all know about the Rays bullpen at this point. JP Fireisen has been a good pickup from the Milwaukee Brewers. Pete Fairbanks, Diego Casio, these guys are relatively solid. Even Jeffrey Springs giving you good innings. Andrew Kittrich has an ERA that is hovering right around a 1-6. So these guys are all able to do their job, and they're all able to do their job very well. I think that Ryan Yarbrough could be able to spin a very nice start here. So I'm going to be taking a look at the Tampa Bay race on the run line. I think that Watkins is going to see a little bit of reality at him after a good couple of starts to begin his major league career. Seeing the race between a minus 110 and minus 120 on the run line, that is more than good enough for me to take. I was willing to lay with the race on the run line, more around a minus 140 in this spot. Also wanted to say this total 9.8. So going over along with the race on the run line, 969, 970 on the banking board, the Texas Rangers hit the road to face off against the Detroit Tigres. Casey Mize is going to be going for the Tigers. Meanwhile, Kyle Gibson is going to be on the bump for the Texas Rangers. Rangers are finding themselves as very slight favorites in this spot. Anywhere between a minus 108 or a minus 116. If you're looking at the Tigers, getting them as good as a plus 106, as bad as a minus 102, 8.5 to 8 is your total. On the 8s, you're finding the over at minus 115, the under is minus 105. On the 8.5, under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120, the over is anywhere between even a minus 110. I wound up saying this total at 7.7. I am firmly believing that both of these pitchers are going to be able to give you a good start. I set Mize because he's at home. A very slight favorite at minus 103. Now, with Kyle Gibson, he has been amazing both at home and on the road, but he has been far more dominant at home. You take a look at what he's done in Arlington so far this year. Buck 77 ERA, 5-1 record in 9 starts. Has given up 4 homers across 56 innings. Opponents carrying a 201 off of him. On the road, still very solid. 222 batting average for opponents. He's given up 4 home runs in 46 innings, 293 ERA. So, it's not like he's some sort of a bum, but Casey Mice has been able to do a great job all year long for this Detroit Tigers team. Three runs or fewer given up in each out of his last five starts. Two runs or fewer given up in each out of his last three. He has given up four homers across his last five starts. After getting roughed up a little bit to begin the year, he has really been able to rein it in. He's given up four home runs 
in total in 34 and two-thirds innings in Detroit so far this year. His walks per nine is steadily decreasing as well. And for the Tigers, this is an offense that all of a sudden has been able to find something, and they wind up sweeping the Minnesota Twins. So this is a Tigers team that, despite the fact that they are way out of it with regards to the postseason, they are still playing for pride, and they're doing so very well. You've been able to have Derek Hill come in. He's hitting a 285 for this bunch. Got a couple guys that need to pick it up. Isaac Paredes, Zach Short, both hitting below the Mendoza line of 200, but both of these guys have on-base percentages that are over 100 points higher than their batting average. Robbie Grossman has a right around a 350 on-base along with Akil Badu. Jonathan Scope has now 17 homers. He's hitting a 285 since the beginning of the month of June. He's actually been one of the best hitters out there in the American League. Now with the Tigers, bullpen is a little bit of an issue. You do have a couple guys that are able to rely upon, though. Kyle Funkhauser has been solid. Gregory Soto gave up a home run in the All-Star game, but still a sub-3 ERA. He's been able to give you a tad bit of something. Iras Ramirez is not great, but at the same time, he's able to give you a little bit of something along Tyler Alexander. And then for the Texas Rangers, same thing goes here. Bullpen, by and large, not necessarily too terrific, but Brett Martin, Spencer Patton, both of these guys are able to give you some solid innings along with Ian Kennedy, who's got a 270 ERA. And for the Rangers, Adolis Garcia, along with Joy Gallo, have both been able to pound out over 20 home runs so far this year, but for Garcia, six homers in the team's last 50 or so days, so that's been a little bit tough. Now, Joey Gallo, double-digit amount of homers over the last three weeks. Keep in mind, the All-Star game was in that fold as well, so he has been able to do a great job there, 395 on base. But then you've got a lot of guys that they need to pick it up with their batting average. Eli White, you're able to throw in there. Andy Ibanez. You've also got a few other guys that have been called up, like a Jason Martin, that are eating below the Mendoza line of 200. Brock Holt is someone that's hitting right around a 220 whenever he's been out there. Jonah Heim is hitting about a 230, and then Nick Solak is hitting a 230 as well, so these guys have been a little bit rough for this team. I do think that this is a situation in which you're just getting a little bit more out of the Detroit Tigers in general. I think that both of these pitchers are going to be relatively solid, but I think that the Tigers have just a little bit more offense to be able to pull it off. So I'm going to be taking the Tigers at even money slash a little bit of a plus price to go along with this total under. 971-972 on the bank board. The Cleveland Indians at the red faceoff against the Houston Astros. Zach Greinke is going to be going for the Strohs. John Carlos Mejia is going to be on the bump for the Cleveland Indians. Your Dolan's game is 9. Under is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and even. If you're taking a look at the Astros, big favorites here. Anywhere between minus 220 and minus 225. Your plus price with the Windians is anywhere between plus 190 and plus 203. I want to say the Astros in this spot at a minus 213. I'm willing to lay up to a minus 135-ish on the run line. And currently, I'm seeing that run line price of the Astros anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. So that's more than good enough for me to be able to take. Now, I do recognize the fact that Zach Ranke has not necessarily been himself at home as compared to on the road, but he has still been solid all year long. 8-3 record, 359 ERA. Home runs have been a little bit of an issue. He's given up right around 1.3, 1.4 home runs per nine innings, but he is someone as well that he just doesn't issue walks. He's given up a little bit over two walks per nine innings so far this year. Swing and miss stuff has went way down. He is right now generating right around seven strikeouts per nine innings, and his home ERA is right around a five, but John Carlos Mejia is absolutely terrible. He is giving up just under two home runs per nine innings. He's given up right around 3.3 walks per nine innings. You take a look at what he's done on the road so far this year. 835 ERA and five starts, 18 and a third innings, and opponents are hitting at 278 off of him. Now, the Cleveland Indians do back him up with a good bullpen. James Karinczak has been able to come through for the team. Brian Shaw wanted him getting used up yesterday, but Nick Samlin able to give you some solid innings. Trevor Steven has been a little bit up and down along Phil Mayton, but you do have a couple guys that are able to come in. They're able to hold down the fort. And for the Astros, they are finding a little bit more with their bullpen as well. They wound up getting taxed quite heavily because they just did not wind up having a good go of it in Chicago against the White Sox over the weekend, but 
Brian Presley has been good for the team. Blake Taylor got used yesterday along with Ryan Sanic, but both of these guys, for eight pitches or fewer, so these guys are going to be able to come back if you need long relief. Brandon Belak has been relatively solid for the team as well. Austin Pruitt, Andre Scrub, I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in these guys, but I do have a lot of faith in this Houston Astros lineup as you've got Jose Altuve, Kyle Tucker, Carlos Correa, Michael Brantley, Yoli Gurriel, and Jordan Alvarez. All inning at least at 270. Other than Michael Brantley, all these guys have double-digit amount of homers. Other than Kyle Tucker, all these guys at least at 350 on base. That is absolutely incredible. Throwing their miles straw. He's hitting at 260 for this team. Jason Castro, Martin Maldonado, not necessarily solid at the catcher spot with hitting, but they both have been able to do a solid job of being able to call games. Then you take a look at the Cleveland Indians. You have been able to get a little bit of something out of the Ramirez's. Jose Ramirez along with Harold Ramirez. Both of these guys doing a good job would be able to get on base. Jose Ramirez has been able to give you 19 homers, hitting a 260. Harold Ramirez hitting more around a 280. And then you've got Amid Rosario along with Framil Reyes, both hitting a 265. And for Framil Reyes, he's getting a home run about every 13 or so at bats. Now you do have a couple slugs in this lineup. You have been able to get absolutely nothing whatsoever out of Roberto Perez, Ernie Clement, and they've got a little bit of a new outfielder in Daniel Johnson. Also hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. Yu Chang has not been able to give you much of anything. He has not been seen for quite a while though, but you take a look at this Cleveland Indian team. I just have absolutely zero faith whatsoever in John Carlos Mia. I think that the Astros should be able to hit him and hit him hard in this spot. So in this situation, I'm going to be taking a look at the Astros run line. Set this hold 9.7, so we're going to be going over as well. 973-974 is that Twins versus White Sox double dip game with Jose Barrios versus To Be Determined. All right, hit that. So we move on to our final game. 975-976 on the banging board. The LA Angels hit the road face off against the Oakland A's. Cole Irvin is going to be going for the A's. Shohei Otani is on the bump for the Angels. Angels slight favorites. Anywhere between minus 112 and minus 115. Meanwhile, if you're looking at a plus price with the Oakland A's, anywhere between plus 102 and plus 105. A and F is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 110. Irvin has been able to give the Oakland A's some very good starts. Been a little bit of an up and down season for him, but overall, I do like what I'm seeing here. Not a swing and miss guy, that is for sure. He is giving you right around six and a half strikeouts or so per nine innings, but what he has done a nice job of, being able to keep the ball in the yard as well, right around 0.85 home runs per nine innings. He has given up one home run in his last four starts. Now, he's a guy that he's going to get banged around a little bit, has given up at least three runs, and now four out of his last five starts, but he's at the very least able to offer you length. With the Oakland A's, they've actually pitched worse at home than they have on the road as a collective, which I find to be very interesting, but you do take a look at this bullpen. Sergio Romo, after a really bad year, he's actually been able to give you a little bit of something now. Tread lightly with Sergio Romo, but by and large, he's been able to do his job. Jake Diekman, Yasmeto Petit wind up pitching yesterday as well for more than just the five pitchers that Sergio Romo winds up coming in for. J.B. Wendelkin, he has been in and out of the fold for this team coming off the injured list. He should be able to give them a tad bit of something. Diolis Carrera has been able to give you some good innings as well. And then you take a look at the lineup of the Oakland A's. They get back their leadoff hitter, Mark Canna, wound up spending quite a bit of time on the injured list. He and Matt Olson both have on-base percentages between a 370 and a 380. And for Canna, he has been able to give you 11 homers in right around 280 at bat, so he's been solid there. You've been able to get 20-plus homers out of Matt Olson as well, so he's been able to hold down the fort. Then you've got a lot of guys for this team in between a 224 and about a 235. Ramon Laureano, Mitch Moreland, Matt Chapman, along with Elvis Andrews. Matt Chapman wound up having a 15-game hit streak a few weeks ago, so that was solved from now. Seth Brown hitting right around the Mendoza line of 200, but you have been able to get a little bit of production out of this Oakland A's team. Then you take a look at the flip side for the Angels. You're getting a whole lot of production out of Shoei Otani. Why is it going deep again yesterday? His 34th home run of the season. He's hitting right around 280, but don't forget about Jared Walsh. He's got north of 20 homers. He's hitting about a 280 for this bunch as well. You've been able to get something out of... 
Phil Goslin, he's hitting right around a 300. That has been good for the C-Max. He's hitting a 300 as well. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Taylor Ward as well. He's hitting about a 240, but Jose Iglesias hitting a 285. David Fletcher in the month of June hit right around a 365. Overall for the year, he's hitting a 315. And Adam Eaton is a guy that they're kicking the tires on. Haven't necessarily gotten a ton out of him, but going to be interesting to see how that happens with the Angels. Your big fear is the bullpen. He just have not necessarily been able to get great innings out of guys like Mike Myers. Jose Quintana is out coming out of the bullpen. They used him up yesterday. Tony Watson as a north of a 4-5 ERA. Steve Ciszek has been a little bit up and down. He's got right around a 2-9 ERA, so he's been able to stabilize a little bit. Junior Guerra has not necessarily been too terrific, but I do take a look at this spot. I do think that you're going to get the very good addition of Shoei Otani, because with Otani, he wound up having his walks issues earlier in the year. He wound up having that just absolute implosion against the New York Yankees, but if you take that Yankees start out of the fold, he has been able to do a very terrific job for the team all year long. You take a look at how he's been able to pitch on the road so far this year. 6.46 ERA, but that is completely bloated because he's had five starts on the road, and one of those starts was against the New York Yankees, which I was mentioning a little bit earlier. Winds up going a third of an inning. Just got completely blasted. He winds up recovering in his next start, going seven strong against the Red Sox, giving up two runs. This is a man that overall this year has given up just six home runs over the course of 67 innings, so I do like what I'm seeing there. I think that Otani is going to be able to deliver a good start. I think that the Angels are going to be able to outmuscle the Oakland A's a little bit in this spot as well. So, wound up saying the LA Angels as a favorite. I was willing to lay up to a minus 124 in this spot. So, taking the Angels, set this all 9.3 as well. So, we're going to be going over as well. And that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Monday. A big thanks to Jeff Farles of the Vegas Heads and Information Network for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson, you're able to subscribe wherever you hear your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, one of two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at JaronScordy1. Keep in mind, letters DM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send in your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you into there. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.